Do not take your antihistamine before you sing, okay? I'm just, I'm just warning you ahead. Rodney? Or before you preach. I guess it applies to that as, as well. Well, uh, good morning to everybody. And uh, my wife, Laura, uh, I didn't know what side she was sitting on, so we're not mad at each other. I wound up over here. She's over there. I didn't see, and I was talking, which I sometimes do. Uh, so we got uh, separated by my wife. Laura is with me, and uh, she is a delightful person. She does not like me to call her nice. She's from Louisiana, and uh, she says, we're not nice in Louisiana, so don't ever call her nice or sweet. But anyway, she's uh, a wonderful person, and uh, if you get a chance, uh, go meet her here, and she's very funny uh, if you get a chance to talk to her uh, along those lines. Uh, it is good to be here. I will be here again, Lord willing, in two weeks, and then I think once in April and once in May, and uh, I think I can speak on behalf of the other gentlemen who will be making their way down here over the coming weeks that we are excited. Uh, to be able to be a part of your worship time together, uh, to be able to share fellowship with each other, and to be able to, uh, it's just kind of fun uh, to worship in different places, uh, to be around folks, and sometimes you get caught up where you are in your own little world, and you think this is about it, and then you get to step out and go to other places, and you're reminded that uh, God's faithful ones uh, are meeting in a variety of places, and it's always encouraging uh, to be around other folks uh, who are gathering together on Sunday morning uh, to praise, to worship God, to open up scripture, uh, to gather around this table, which is a very unifying act. I don't know if you've ever thought about that way, but it really does bring us together quite nicely. Beautiful com uh, communion thoughts uh, as well. And um, yeah, I have not thought about Satan kind of like getting thrown out like lightning, and that analogy you made was was very, very apt and brought a, brought a smile to my face. Uh, all of us are going to gather when we come here, and we're going to work our way through the book of Acts, I believe, is, is the series that we're going to do. And I believe we were asked to do a focus on the Holy Spirit, which Acts is a very good book uh, to do that with. And so you're going to hear a lot of sermons, and most of our titles that we're going to be coming with uh, have something to do with the Spirit. So my title today is out of Acts chapter 1, and it's simply called The Promise of the Spirit. So the title for the sermon, and I will work better and be quicker about getting slides. And so if you're used to slides, I apologize. I talked to Steve yesterday and we figured, or I figured anyway, it might be easier just to go without the slides on this day, but I'll try to do better on the one, the weeks that I come here in the future here to get slides. I know to get them to Melissa now and uh, get her, get them up there so you can see that as well. But if you have a Bible, we're going to do this the old-fashioned way, turn to Acts chapter 1. So that's where we're going to be today, so you don't have to worry about trying to find 50 different scriptures and where your, your hand out or anything, turning from one place to another. We're just going to stay in Acts chapter 1 because we can accomplish a great deal just by staying there. And a couple of things I want to do before I read from Acts chapter 1. Uh, my wife actually, she's pretty sharp, and she told me you may want to check out uh, the Clifton Church's website. She said they got this really cool introduction, talks a little bit about the history of the church here. And so I did. And what I also noticed as I worked my way down to that page about the Clifton Church of Christ, that you have some statements uh, in, on your website here. And I want to read a couple of statements to you. None of your scripture references come out of the book of Acts, but they're going to have a lot to do with what we talk about this morning. So my initial word to you is, you're already doing good work. 
And I think that's spirit-empowered good work. So we'll get to that point here a little bit here. But two statements from your website before you read Acts 1. The Holy Spirit provides the Christian with understanding of spiritual truth and guidance in doing what is right. Now, you quote Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 2, Galatians 5. Then you say, the Holy Spirit gives gifts every believer for the benefit of the church, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 13. Uh, all those ideas are in those scriptures, but they're also in Acts chapter 1, as we're going to see here. And we're going to talk about that. So you guys are good. And uh, I like what your statement has to say about those things. And then, above that, you said this, which made me smile really, really big. When you ask people about their experience with the Clifton Church of Christ, there are two main things that stand out. Radical hospitality and force for Christ in the community. I don't know if, if you've looked at your website lately or if you even knew that that statement was there, uh, but I want to commend you for it. And I also want to say this. I also believe very strongly that those features of radical hospitality and a force for Christ have something to do with the Holy Spirit. I don't think a lot of things come naturally to people. They can come to us spiritually through the Holy Spirit. It can enable us and empower us to do the things that don't come all that naturally. Because many of these things are not natural to the human being, but they are spirit-empowered. That's one of the things I want to get into because I think when Luke uh, is talking or writing to Theophilus again for the second time as he's going to introduce us later, I think Luke is very much in tune with this notion that the spirit is what is the driving force behind our faith. So, in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, in my former book, Theophilus, what is the former book, by the way? Luke. Very good. It is Luke. So that was also mentions Theophilus. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going and when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, we could keep reading, but we're going to stop there and we'll allude to a passage a little bit later on in the chapter as well. But you may have picked up on the fact that the Holy Spirit is rather prominent in the book of Acts. It gets mentioned at least three times in these first 11 verses, maybe referred to another time or two. But it's a big, big deal. And it is what is going to make the church possible and thrive. 
Now, one of the things I think we struggle with a little bit is that when we see our Bibles, we think that there is a set doctrine on the Holy Spirit. And what I want to suggest to you is that just like today, when we have people sitting in here and we have thoughts and ideas about things, that God, in the inspiration process, allows biblical writers to maybe have different ideas or nuances or different ways of expressing things. For instance, I have a trick question. How many Gospels are there? There we go. Since I said it was a trick question, that was your that was your clue. Because whenever I ask that to one of my classes at ACU, I always get four. And I say, no, there's only one Gospel. But there are four accounts of the Gospel. And yes, I let them get away with saying four Gospels. But there's only one account. And so it's, it's a funny thing. Why are there four accounts of this one Gospel? Because each of the Gospel writers, inspired by God, through God's Holy Spirit, is allowed to tell the story in a particular kind of way. And if you ever read, go to the trouble of reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's similarities to be sure. But you'll also start to notice that each one has its own personality, its own vocabulary, its own way of talking about who this Jesus is. In fact, you'll find that there are stories that are unique to one of them that doesn't appear in any of the other stories. For instance, uh, the Good Samaritan. That's a well-known parable, isn't it? I mean, you think, that's that, and that, boy, that's a really good one. You would think all four evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, would each one use that one, right? I mean, if you're going to use one, boom, that's the one you want to use. Good Samaritan. Everybody remembers the Good Samaritan. People who don't know anything else about the Bible, they know something about the Good Samaritan. Only one of the Gospel writers uses the story of the Good Samaritan, Luke who is, wrote the first half of the book of Acts too, right? Volume 1. So I find it interesting when we talk about the Holy Spirit that we sort of expect it all to be sort of this flat little discussion where every single biblical writer, whether it's the Apostle Paul or Luke or John or Peter or whoever it is doing the writing, would have the exact... No, God allows for some flexibility and for us to be able to pull all this together. So we're going to look at how or Luke talks about and thinks about and expresses to us, inspired by this Holy Spirit, how we think about the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like thinking about thinking. Uh, so we're going to Holy Spirit about the Holy Spirit uh, in, in some kind of way during this series with the book of Acts. All right, so a couple of things that I want to mention. First of all, it is, it is a promise. So why don't you stop and think about this with regard to the Holy Spirit. It is a promise. What is it a promise of? It's a promise of a gift. What is the gift? The Holy Spirit. So God has promised us a gift. So one of the things I think beginning to talk about this is that when we think about the Holy Spirit, we need to think of it as a gift that God has given to us. Now, which also tells us something else. It is not ours to begin with. It is a gift given to us. It is a Holy Spirit because it is God's Spirit. 
So uh, I think that's an important little thing because sometimes we think that we can buy the Holy Spirit. We'll see that in Acts chapter 8, a little bit later on here, that it is something that we can purchase. It is something that we can have ourselves. It is something that we can control and we can manipulate for our own purposes. The book of Acts is going to say, "Uh -uh, that's not what the Holy Spirit is. First of all, it belongs to God. And God has the right and the authority to give the Holy Spirit to whom he sees fit. When he sees fit. How he sees fit. We don't tell God what God can do with his own spirit. And sometimes we flip the whole script and we think we are the ones uh, who tell God what he can or cannot do with his own spirit. So I think it's a, it seems like a duh kind of statement there, but we really don't ever bring it up and we don't hardly ever talk about that. But one of the first things we need to think about with regard to the Holy Spirit is it's God's. And he has given it to us. We didn't earn it. We can't buy it. All right? That's going to be no-node real, real quickly in the book of Acts. And uh, we also don't do certain things to get it. God gives it when God decides to give it. Now, most commonly, it's going to be associated with baptism. And you see a reference to baptism in this particular passage. But there is a story in Acts 10 where the person gets the Spirit before he is baptized. So in other words, there's not a formula. Right? Do this, this, and this, and then you get the whole... No, it's God's Spirit. And it's not up to human manipulation and control here. God gives it when God decides to give it. We always got to keep that in the back of our minds. So first thing I want to say today is that it is promised to us as a gift. And we need to hear that. Second thing that I want to say about the Holy Spirit, just from this kind of initial little kind of passage of Scripture in the book of Acts that we need to think about here, is that number one, it is promised to us as a way of continuing communication between us and God. One of the analogies I like to make with regard to the Spirit, you can. this is just me, so you can reject it, not like it, do whatever you want to do with it. But um, I think of it as sort of a conduit. Something that connects us. So here's the kind of a definition that I like here. Someone or something that provides a way of passing something such as information or payments from one person to another. It is like an unseen or mysterious channel or tube. Now, in John's gospel, he does something a little bit different with the Spirit. In fact, John even has a different term for the Holy Spirit. That's where you get the phrase paraclete, which gets translated in a variety of ways here. But basically, it is sort of like a a legal thing that helps us understand and interpret things. And Jesus even says, you know what, it's actually a good thing that I'm leaving you because when I leave, God will send the paraclete. And this is the ongoing form of communication that takes place. So when I look at Acts chapter 1, Jesus is giving instructions through the Holy Spirit. I mentioned I dropped down a little bit later on. 
later on in Acts chapter 1, in verse 15 and 16, the, the disciples have gathered together. They've got to replace Judas, right? They've gone from 12 down to 11. 12 is significant. It's a, it's a significant number, right? If you're an Israelite, what's significant about the number 12? 12 tribes of Israel. So you drop down to 11, you want to get it back up to 12. It's kind of funny. You have 120 people who are gathered. That's a multiple of the number 12 as well. 12 times 10. 10 kind of an important number as well. So it's 120 disciples who are gathered together. We've got a problem. we only got 11. Uh, how are we going to know what to do? Notice how the Holy Spirit and Scripture come into, uh, come into play. Peter stands up. So it takes a leadership role. He'll do the same in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Brothers and sisters, the scriptures had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Jesus. Concerning Judas, excuse me. So the Spirit spoke through David into scripture. Jesus gave instructions through the Holy Spirit. And my guess is, by the time you get to the book of Acts, what we're really starting to hint at a little bit here is Scripture itself, what we might come to call the New Testament, which would not have existed when Jesus was walking around, would not have existed when this gathering of 120 disciples are together. They didn't have a New Testament. Right? The New Testament is still to come, and it takes a couple of hundred years to get the New Testament as we think about it when we open up our Bibles. But somehow the Spirit is going to ensure that communication from God is taking place. To me, that's what Scripture is. It is a way, it is a channel, it is like a tube, it is, it is some sort of conduit through which God communicated. Has communicated in the past, is communicating in the present, whenever that present is, and will communicate into the future regardless of whatever time frame we find ourselves in. So for their present, all right, David would have been a past, and yet here we are nearly 2,000 years later, still reading, still learning about what God is up to in this world and what he wants us to do. And so the Spirit is a promised gift from God. And one of the things that it does, I think more than anything else, is it empowers us. It empowers us to read, interpret, and apply Scripture. It, emp it empowered David to write Scripture. It empowered Luke to write Luke and Acts. It empowered John to write the Gospel in John. It's going to empower Paul to write several of his letters. The Spirit is going to be active, and it's going to be doing those things, and it's going to work with human beings so that John can write the Gospel of John. Luke can write the Gospel of Luke. Mark can write the Gospel of Mark. Matthew can write the Gospel of Matthew. And you sort of get a feel and the flavor of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you spend a little bit of time in there. And you get a little bit of a sense for Luke right, that this notion of the Holy Spirit, it is huge. It is huge. And without the Holy Spirit, the church doesn't stand a chance. Just doesn't. Uh, and so this is one of the ways in which the Spirit empowers the church even today. And that is to pick up the Scriptures, to read and interpret and apply. The Spirit empowers us to do that. I would like to think on our better days 
that when the preacher gets up or the teacher in front of the classroom gets up, one of the things that we might be able to say is the Spirit of the Lord came upon that person and empowered that person to speak a word from the Lord. Neither the Word nor the Spirit belongs to the person, but that Spirit becomes that channel, that conduit, to empower that person to be able to proclaim a word from God. And I think that's sort of what's going on here in Acts chapter 1. Another way it empowers us, right, because it's an empowering agent, it empowers us to be the witnesses that God wants us to be. Uh, notice uh, this in verse 8, but you will receive power. So when we think about power, we think about a lot of kinds of things here. All right, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, so far we're tracking along in the book of Acts, we'll see it really powerfully in the next chapter, and you will be my witnesses. Now, this is directly being communicated by Jesus to those disciples, but again, we're in here, we're reading scripture, and so this becomes a word to us as well. And maybe we won't do the miracles that the early disciples slash apostles did. But I think we need the power of the Holy Spirit to be the witnesses that God has called us to be. I remember as a kid, I am, people don't realize this, when I, I am a painfully shy and reserved person. You can ask my wife. Um... I was sharing a little story that I was going to share in uh, my lesson today, so I guess I tip my hand here. The very first time I got to preach a full-bore sermon was a Sunday evening service in Franklin, Texas. The minister there was Bill Hart. I was a senior in high school. That was the only year that I went to school there. So my dad worked for Texas A&M. He drove into College Station every day. We lived in Franklin, Texas. I don't know why he picked Franklin. He picked Franklin. That's where we lived. And that was the only year I went to school there. It was my senior year in high school, so that's where I graduated. Franklin Lions. Uh, go, go, go. Uh, sort of thing. Uh, but the gentleman, the preacher there, for whatever reason, picked me out. I would call that the Holy Spirit. Uh, and would start talking to me. He said, you know what? I think you need to preach a sermon. And I said, okay. Because I remember, I mean, immediately panic hit in because I don't like to get up in front of people. It is not a natural thing for me at all. And uh, he said, here's what you need to do. And he gave me some tips, kind of how he went about preparing his sermons and everything else. So I did that. I think I wrote out, I don't know how, I can't remember. Uh, I, I choose not to remember what I did, uh, That to be truthful there. But I had it all preached out, and I practiced it in my bedroom at home and everything else here. And I was thinking it was 20, 25 minutes, whatever. But uh, I didn't know. And when I got up there that Sunday evening, I think I was done in three. <laughs> Two things that I remember, I could not even understand myself. <laughs> I was going so fast. And I remember a very, very dry mouth. And as soon as I was done, I think I had my head between my tail and everything else there, and I booked it to the back because we had a water fountain in the back. And I remember just drinking a bunch of water. And I also remember this, Brother Hart, Bill Hart, 
very, very good man, got up because he realized, you know, we met at 6 and it was probably 6.10, 6.15. We were supposed to be there till 7 or so. He had some time to fill. Uh, but what he did was say a lot of nice things about me and about what I was attempting to say. And then he sort of said what I had meant to say. You know, the Spirit works in very mysterious and powerful ways. And it helps us to be the witnesses that we really don't have the gumption to be. It empowers us to live from a sense of character and morals and ethics that maybe naturally we don't have it in us. It empowers us to face adversity because sometimes being a witness puts you at odds with everybody else. It certainly isn't cool, which I understood very well in middle school and high school especially. It may even empower us to do something wonderful. That it might even be a sign. Here's the point of a sign. It's not that it's necessarily turning water into wine or anything like that or raising a dead man back to life. A sign does this. It points to the one who gives the power for the sign to take place. And that sign might be a very shy and painful 17-year-old red-headed boy who really, the last place he ever wanted to be was up in front of people. And yet the Spirit maybe, possibly, perhaps, comes upon that person. And there may be some folks in here that of their own two bits, their own sense of worth or whatever it may be, could never do something. But somehow, some way, the Spirit comes upon them and empowers them to do something that in and of themselves they could never do. That's what I think the promise of the Holy Spirit is all about. It is about being engaged with Scripture, reading it on our own and reading it together, interpreting it, applying it into our lives in ways that we would never imagine or never see because we're listening to each other and we're listening to the Spirit that is in us. It empowers us to be witnesses, to do things that in and of ourselves we would never, ever dream of doing or being. And one last little thing, and this is my good news for the day, is this. The Holy Spirit reminds us we are forgiven. It's the very next chapter. I'm, I'm kind of stealing the thunder for your speaker next week. But it doesn't take very long for that association to come along. Judas, the one who betrayed, he's no longer among the twelve. Just a little witness to us that we struggle. He followed Jesus day in and out. He saw Jesus. He broke bread with Jesus on a number of occasions, I would imagine. He probably loved Jesus and thought Jesus was the one. 
Some have even suggested that the reason why he betrays him is to get Jesus to be what Jesus is saying he's going to be, the Messiah. He's going to force the action. Jesus is taking way too long to be the Messiah. I'm going to force him to be the Messiah that I know he can be. He just doesn't understand the kind of Messiah Jesus intends to be. You see, we all do those things. We all misunderstand. We all do the wrong thing. As Paul will put it a little bit later on, we do what we don't want to do and we don't do what we know we should do. We, we get it all backwards and we just do it. We miss the mark. We sin. But what we are reminded of by the Holy Spirit and this promise of this gift, that this is the empowering agent God is going to use over and over again to remind you, you are forgiven. The blood of Jesus is the purifying agent. The Holy Spirit is the reminding agent. You are forgiven. And that is power. To know you're a forgiven person is powerful. And that's what makes the change in the world that God has called us into and in being the church today. So, this morning, as we bring this to an end here, I know your custom is for elders to take to the doors and to be there for prayer. Uh, if you read Acts chapter 1, another thing they do a lot of in the book of Acts, they pray. I appreciate what you did before class this morning. We pray together. And praying is another way we connect to that spirit. Uh, we'll talk more about that as the series goes along in the book of Acts. But also, if there's anybody here uh, who just wants to make that confession that Jesus is the Christ... Jesus is Lord, and I want to make him the Lord of my life now here. I want to make that confession, and I want to be baptized into Christ. Won't you come now as we stand and as we sing? Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, and Lord, we lift up your name with heartful, heartful of praise, so be exalted, O Lord my God, Hosanna in the highest, glory, glory, glory to the King of kings, glory, glory, Glory to the King of kings, and Lord, we lift up your name with heartful, heartful of praise, so be exalted, O Lord my God, Hosanna in the up your name with heart.
full of praise, so be exalted, O Lord my God, Hosanna in the 